Hi there. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to tell you about an issue of Design Museum Magazine we're working on and how you can help. The title of the issue is The Policing Issue, How One of the Most Powerful Institutions Functions by Design, out later this spring. Help support our special issue on Kickstarter. With your support, it will feature 16 artists, designers, researchers, and writers of color paid for their contributions to this special edition of the magazine. The Policing Issue will explore the relationships between design and policing, from the physical objects currently in use by officers to the ways in which the design process perpetuates unjust practices rooted in policing, all the way to the design of the protest movement. The campaign on Kickstarter is to raise $20,000 in support of this publication. We've learned that it is so key to go viral on Kickstarter, and we've learned the best way to do that is to raise about 30% of our total on day one. So, even though our campaign launches March 1st, you can pledge now to help us raise $6,000 before the campaign really even begins. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on support our Kickstarter campaign to learn more and make your pledge. Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our world and our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and we interview a guest about their work in design as a great group conversation. Because design is everywhere, and so are we. This episode is about the future of office space in a post-COVID world. There's so much change happening. Designers and architects are now facing a new design problem as they discover the best ways for people to work safely and effectively. To help us tackle what the function and purpose is for the office space of the future, we are joined by two experts. Our co-host is Angie Lee from FX Collaborative, and our special guest is Natasha Benugli from Unispace. Both have a background in crafting and creating workplace designs. But before we dive in, I'm excited to announce our next live podcast recording event. On February 19th at noon Eastern time, we're planning an awesome conversation titled Launching of Movement, Graphic Design for Social Change. My guest co-host will be Yvette Perullo from Re-Nourish. Yvette is an expert and in fact wrote a book on sustainability and graphic design, which I love. Yvette and I will then interview Jessie McGuire. She's the managing director of brand design studio Thought Matter. Together we'll discuss and hear about their experiences and best practices around designing for socially progressive campaigns and causes. The event is only open to Design Museum members, so be sure to get your membership You'll get access to all our live podcast recording events, which we're doing monthly now, so that's fun. Plus, you'll get all the other benefits of membership like Design Museum Magazine and more. So members, get your tickets for launching a movement on our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org. In the menu, click on events, and we'll see you all on February 19th. Now onto the show. Overnight, companies and organizations have had to transform their workspace and accelerate their digital transformation. Now more than ever, the work from home model has become the new norm. According to Upwork, 41.8% of Americans continue to work remotely. So what does this mean for the office space? What will that look like when we can return? How will we continue to adapt to the ever-changing landscape of the world we're living in? To learn more, we have Angie Lee. Angie is a partner and design director of interiors at FX Collaborative. She's the president-elect of the International Interior Design Association. Very exciting and the 2019 winner of the Interior Design Magazine's HIP Award for Design Leadership in the Workplace category. As an architect and a designer, Angie combines strategy and an emotional design narrative to her work. 
Her designs create a lasting emotional resonance to a space. Angie, welcome to the show. It's nice to meet you. It's very nice to meet you too. Hi, Sam. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I love this topic. There's so much happening around workplace. I'm just excited to dive in. So to start, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. And you know, maybe you could tell us a bit about your journey into architecture, interior design, and workplace, and you know, the work you do as design director. Sure. Well, let me start by saying I am Korean American, and that factors into you know what I do. So I landed on these shores at the age of two and oh, ended wow. up in Kansas. Uh, I've been leveraging my ability to travel along the hyphenation between various worlds as a designer, which I learned how to do back then as an unwitting contributor to the model minority myth. It's sort of a revelation to sort of learn all of this stuff about these topics and how that kind of points back to me and my role in this in this stage in the game. But I've been collecting language codes and cues and cultural dialects to fit in and be relatable for uh, a long time. And it has served me well because it allows me to zoom in and out of experiences that aren't my own and understand how duality and now pluralism is important to designing for the people who occupy the spaces I create. And, you know, my parents encouraged a couple of choices for my professional future as either a, a doctor or a musician, a classic menu offered by Asian American parents back then and still probably to this day. But I kept kicking the can down the road until I found something that didn't feel so prescriptive and limiting and ended up studying architecture at Carnegie Mellon. And looking back, it was kind of a reckless venture into another very prescriptive kind of creativity, which I really knew nothing about. And now I often refer to myself as a recovering architect. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. What does that mean? Well, I figured out how to fit into the mold of, you know, architect, capital A architect as a student and as a newly minted graduate, but the confines of the profession eventually started to close in and become a bit restrictive. And once I landed in New York City about, I guess, 20 years ago now, I found myself doing mostly work in interiors and found a fluency in the language of interior design that allowed for new design dialects and expanded what was creatively possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and exciting. Now, yeah, it, it's, it's, and I, I really do uh, feel passionate about this. And even still, you know, I'm looking beyond the traditional roles of what an interior designer does and sort of examining what else design can achieve. It's amazing because I'm feeling like I'm at the beginning of another phase of my career. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's a good feeling. I've, I've felt it. I've felt it before. You, right? Yeah. I mean, do you, I feel like a lot of us are feeling like there is a lot to redesign ahead of us because these really pressing important issues are, you know, we're sort of swirling around in it as we speak. Oh, totally. We have a, a council member at Design Museum, Angela Yay. And we just had a great meeting the other day where she was like, the world is ready for designers, right? It needs us, you know, no longer are we kind of toiling away, you know, in secret. We have to be ahead of these challenges and problems to, 
to hit on like what you were saying that we, we know how to connect with people and, and bridge a lot of these gaps. So it's, it's great to hear your journey, you know, and finding that, that space. Um, tell us about FX Collaborative. What, what kind of work do you all do? So we do pretty much everything except for prisons and hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the easiest way to I do like it. I focus a lot on workplace design. Um, obviously, that's why I'm talking to you all today, but I'm doing work in you know the educational realm and a lot of the multifamily residential typologies and dabbling more into the hospitality world as well. When you're looking at these projects, pre and post COVID or pre and during, what's important to you around workplace design? So maybe or maybe not what you would expect, but these days I'm it seems like I'm always talking about design justice and anti-racism, gendered and equitable spaces, climate catastrophe and environmental racism, and of course health and wellness with a good dose of the epidemiology that we're all dealing with and it's daunting, but that's the goal, to combine all of those things to create safe spaces that promote creativity and connection for more people and ultimately all people. And I, you know, I sort of fluctuate, but I am optimistic that, <laughs> you know, good design has the power to heal these issues because honestly, bad design got us here. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share? I Because I think some people may hear, because I'm with you. I'm like design of everything needs to lead to a more equitable, safer, more environmentally sound world. But they might think a workplace, like how does a workplace like shoulder <laughs> that that responsibility. Can you share either some more thinking on that or even some examples of like how that design work like creates that for people? It's it's funny because I think I, I use the the kind of urban planning uh, example first to sort of set me up because it is a bit hard to talk about. It's sort of like asking a fish yeah. to describe water, right? But you know, like redlining and all of those things that were written, literally designed into yeah. code. Racism and law. designed into the system. Exactly. Of the city. Yeah. So when you think of workplace and how that scales down into a class system that we're very comfortable with, it's automatic, front of house space, back of house space, the corner office, and then the secretary pool. You have everything from gendered spaces where you have the the set temperature designed for six foot to male in a full you know, suit, full suit, mm -hmm. um, larger body mass, all of that stuff, and and you know lack of mothers' rooms that mm -hmm. you know have just recently, I guess, in the past, I want to say like ten years, have finally come into the mainstream. Yeah. So in workplace, you know, we're often talking about the more obvious things like mother's rooms and all gender restrooms, toilet rooms, and things that allow people to feel like the space is designed for them because we know when a space is not designed for us. And it's just, you know, that's the easy part. It's just now finding out how to flip it and find the design vocabulary to design for inclusion. So when we talk about workplace, we had been talking about how it needs to become less masculine and more feminine for mm -hmm. lack of a better yeah. sort of category system. Mm -hmm. And now there is an, uh, there's a, an embrace of having, you know, color palettes that mm. are not just blue and gray. Right. right? Yeah. Warmer. Warmer. Even, you know, pink, I always say, has been sort of a weaponized color that 
make people very nervous. You know, it's it's hyper feminine and it's something that I can use as a uh, an entree into a very interesting conversation as a provocation to really unpack, you know, some of the biases that the design team, the consultant team and the client team are holding. And it's not a, a finger pointing exercise. It's everybody is participating in this because it's systemic. The language is embedded right. from the moment where, you know, we land on the on the planet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder because I, you know, even before COVID, this like changes to the workplace to make it, like you said, warmer. You know, it's funny now that we're, work has come so much into the home. Before, it seemed like the home was starting to integrate more into the workplace. And I wonder if you get a chance to, like you said, you work on education, you work on residential. Are you able to blend the learnings mm-hmm. and the needs? Because we're people. <laughs> we're people who have to live, work, learn. Um, how does that work kind of all blend together? Well, pre-COVID, it was all blurring, right? Like mm-hmm. you said. But now it is um, not just a blur. The, the boundaries have been completely erased. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> so no matter the, I think corporate had become kind of a, a dirty word. <laughs> it was like that was the, the antithesis of what we wanted to accomplish even for the most corporate clients. Right. And so now as we're doing residential and hospitality, you know, I can name, you know, four or five residential amenity programs that we're designing at the moment with a very high priority on the workplace programming. So we're, wow. we're, we're threading through, you know, electrified furniture, um, tables that are, you know, meant for dining, socialization and co-working. So we're we're making sure that the amenities are able to operate sort of like a co-working business lounge. Wow. I've been wondering if this was going to happen, right? It's like, is the architecture interior design world going to like create better home office? <laughs> and it sounds like you're you're getting there. That's a, that's exciting. Yes. I mean, I think the amenities was the easy mm-hmm. low-hanging fruit because we have the space to do that now. Yeah. The next step is going into the actual units. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys live in New York, but if you do, you know how small these spaces are. <laughs> and yes. I think we're doing right. So we're we're doing as much as we can to help developers who are aware of this understand the additional burdens on the home. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're not just working from home, we're we're teaching from home, we're socializing, we're working out. You know, we're partying and doing these happy hours, these kind of sad happy hours by ourselves. (laughs) And home is really so important right now. And when we go back to the office, we're going to be, you know, taking all the things that we learned from, you know, how to even, you know, turn our offices into broadcasting studios. I have a ring light. I'm yeah. looking at this microphone that you all sent me. I mean, this is you're you're crazy. looking at my home podcast studio, I which know, is I formerly like... a closet. You know, and that's something I, you know. Just thinking of myself, like I end up transforming spaces throughout the day, right? Like our yes. kids have like this little playroom, and our treadmill is in it, and it folds, and like I have a whole ritual now before I run of like transforming it, and then likewise, yes. you know, to record the podcast, like transforming part of my bedroom. And I wonder, like, what are we going to pull from? Because eventually we're going to go back to the office. I know I miss elements of it. What are we going to pull back with us that's going to change, you know, the whole game in the actual workspace? Right. So I think there's going to be, well, 
Well, first of all, I, I find it interesting because no matter who I talk to, there's always an equal split between people who either want to stay at home forever right. or go to the office and never look back at their home office. And then a, a large equal percentage of people in the middle. So this hybrid model where you're going to have people in the office that need to talk to a lot of people in their home offices, I think it's going to transform, I think, the the conference rooms in the office space. So you're going to have the kinds of portable technologies that we're, we're all very um, expert at using at home, right? We're going to bring those into the office, embed those further into the architecture, and have sort of these kind of outpost broadcast video conferencing studios in the office. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Folks listening to see more of Angie's work, listeners can check out fxcollaborative.com. And Angie, please stick around and we'll bring Natasha into the conversation. If you like this podcast, check out our Kickstarter campaign for our latest magazine special issue. It's called The Policing Issue, How One of the Most Powerful Institutions Functions by Design, out later this spring. At the Design Museum, we're always working on projects that explore the transformative power of design, whether it's our educational programs, the Workplace Innovation Summit, our books, this magazine is no exception. We're tackling how institutions are defined by their design. With your support on Kickstarter, it will feature 16 artists, designers, researchers, and writers of color who will pay for their contributions to this special issue. The policing issue will explore the relationships between design and policing, from the physical objects currently in use by officers to the ways in which the design process perpetuates unjust practices rooted in policing, all the way to the design of the protest movement. Help us raise $20,000 between March 1st and March 30th to make this happen. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on our Kickstarter campaign. And we're back and we're joined by our special guest, Natasha Benugli. She is the Global Principal of Design for Unispace, an international design firm specializing in workplace interiors. Natasha provides creative leadership around the world. She's formally trained as an architect, and is committing to disrupting how the office space is traditionally designed. Natasha's designs are reimagining the way we work forever. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. I'm excited to, to learn more. So to start, I, I wanted to get a sense of how you see the workplace change. I mean, there's so much, Angie and I talked about so many changes. I wanna get your take. You know, someone who spent a lot of time traveling for work, What's like some of the biggest hurdles and surprises you have from these changes, including like working from home? I think, you know, workplace looks different in the future post-COVID. Um, you know, elite organizations of tomorrow will be more flexible. They'll be more agile to provide choice and autonomy for their employees. Success isn't about sitting in desks, of row, you know, rows of desks. It's, it's going to be about agile teams that can come together wherever it makes most sense and wherever their clients need them. It's about providing the right settings and spaces to choose how you do work, where you do work, and the tools and technology that will enable them to thrive. And it's also about pulling people back into the workplace. I think what's really important, we need to see the workplace as a destination. You know, people want to have to want to come in, not have to be in. And I think that's really important moving forward. So it's really about a human-centric approach, focusing on people. Yeah, I love that. And I, yeah, I've heard a couple different ways of thinking about like, the workplace is like competing <laughs> for our attention, our presence, right? And so I like what, how you frame that in terms of like, 
we do have to want to go. So there has to be something there that we're not getting from home, that we're not getting from like our work environment, which sounds silly to say, because I don't know about everyone else, but my like work at home is like not great, but there are these conveniences. So what are you starting to see or even design that you think will draw people that is going to be that special element or elements that get people excited to come back? Yeah, I think I think the the office as a destination or the workplace as a destination is going to revolve around three things. It's going to revolve around community building, you know, and that's the kind of representation of culture and brand coming to life as well. The social aspects that we're all missing from being mm-hmm. at home and locked away. It's that face to face connection. The second piece will be about problem solving. So if we continue to work in a remote way, people are going to want to come in for actual collaboration, face-to-face collaboration. And I think that will be more about outcomes and problem solving to get there. And then the the final piece is really about innovation. So, you know, how do you stay ahead of the curve? How do you become leading edge? And it's about the systems, the tools, the processes to enable you to do that and have proper face-to-face innovation and collaboration. There's definitely going to be a, a talent war if people are providing more flexibility and choice for their employees. If you don't keep up with that, then your employees will go. They'll go somewhere else. So flexibility and choice will be important to attract and retain talent. And I think uh, the office will become a physical manifestation of brand and culture as well, like bringing that to life. And that in itself will be a pull back. Yeah, that's interesting because I keep thinking about like branded environments you might think more of like retail right where you like you go into like a nike town store and you're like i am ensconced in nike and you can like feel it you know many workplaces don't have that kind of like brand hug when you go in some i i visited some pre-covid that did and i wonder if that's going to be like just exactly like you're saying you almost have you know say you work for name name your company you're going to have the XYZ company experience when you're there and you're going to like feel the brand. Is that something that you're designing in? And that that brings in more than just architecture, right? There's all kinds of design work to be done there. Yeah, we're definitely taking cues from, from retail and hospitality worlds because if you think about being digitally in, you know, enabled and um, you're able to, to work anywhere with digital components, Um, that kind of experience through digital will come to life and whether that's revolving around um, the kind of people-centric piece again. So collecting data, um, using that data through potential apps, being able to improve, um, you know, not only performance, but connection with the organizations, track, um, you know, celebrate successes, uh, give back in terms of rewards, things like that. So, you know, in terms of architecture, it's about smart buildings, and infrastructure in terms of people, it's more about experience and using tech as a tool to to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. I wonder one thing too, thinking about like actual like typologies of space, if we'll get more like deliberate in how we organize each day. So for example, I mean, we, we were already pre-COVID, uh, we had work from home Mondays, right? And that was kind of like, we're home, we're focused because then when we're back in the office, there's different activities, right? Like you're saying, collaboration, this and that. So I wonder, are you seeing different typologies of spaces matched to more deliberate types of work? Like a full company meeting needs X, Y, Z, a 
small collaboration for a team project needs this. And it's less of like, like you said, less desks. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I think there's two pieces there. There's definitely more of a variety of types of settings and spaces, but it all depends on the organization. So we're actually trying to capture, you know, the sentiment of percentage of people coming back in. So the kind of remote readiness percentages to then understand the right settings on those people for those people. So the kind of personas, their workflow, and then developing a framework that's unique for that business and a kit mm-hmm. apart. It's almost a Lego kit apart so that's mm. flexible and adaptable so that they can choose the right setting, the right space, uh, bring the right people together. Um, and for those periods of curated time, because you're absolutely right. The second piece there is about planning and organizing. And it's a lot more complex. We're talking about, you know, certain periods of day and certain people coming in and overlapping teams, team A, team B, blue, red. So it's it's a lot more complex um, as we look forward. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder like even like planning tools, because, you know, when you're all in person in the office, you'd be like, all right, yeah, we all need to get together and we need to kind of hash this out. Now it's like we all need to get together. Oh, but only half of us are actually here. (laughs) Half of us are working from home. And like you said, it's almost like workspaces are going to need sort of like an internal program manager who is going to like curate and kind of keep this all straight, which I, I honestly think is for the better. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Natasha, do you see a difference between the kinds of, I guess, amenities or attractors from a, an American to a European model? There are definitely variations and regional differences and because unispace is global we also have asia and you know apac regions so australia so we're kind of learning from all our colleagues and sharing knowledge on that as well um and the level of progressiveness i would say the level of you know who's ready to transform earlier completely varies depending on the region and it also depends on the sector I would say. So the types of spaces and those pools and those kind of experience-led elements completely vary depending on where you are. Um, Things are, we see things quite progressively happening in Australia. They seem to have this can-do attitude where they're just more open-minded and there is a softer feel. It's a little bit more laid back. So you'll see those types of amenities coming in. In Europe, most of the companies are quite progressive, but you still have a lot of traditional. So breaking from that kind of cellular environment to open and even more agile. And then with the work I've been doing in the U.S. and our colleagues in the U.S., I think it varies according to sector. You know, you've got your your bubble on the West Coast, which is very tech heavy. So they're going to be completely different. And their needs in terms of amenities and those types of spaces will be different. And also depending on how experienced that company is, whether it's a startup stage or if it's evolved into something more professional in feel, um, then I guess the space types and will vary 100%. Well, no, because I think that there, you know, my my couple of stints in London just kind of revealed, uh, like you said, a much more progressive attitude towards, you know, air quality and customization from an end user experience. Like, I think you have a lot more control over, you know, the settings for comfort, as well as, you know, I think Europe 
especially England, was ahead of us in the States in terms of free address. And that mobility was already happening. And I think it would be interesting to hear like if if there was some sort of kind of meaningful uh, payoff in terms of being, you know, ahead of us for that long. I think we're just catching up and it's, you know, kind of painful at times. But I think like if if we looked at the European model, is there, you know, when I think of the office of the future, I, I think of the office as becoming a perk, you know, like just being able to sit at a desk free of your kids' toys <laughs> is kind of a luxury, right? But the amenities that I'm hearing about in terms of, you know, the classic WeWork model where they have taps for beer and kombucha, that not being the sort of goal any longer, but really about outdoor space, air quality, which again is baked into the European codes as far as I know. I'm not super familiar, but that's, like, do you think that there is something that, especially with Australia, something that you're seeing that's going to help us understand how to do this better um, stateside? Yeah, I think there is, a, depending on where in Europe, um, you know, which city, there are definitely different codes, but it is very much focused around wellness, fresh air, um, you know, being able to control environments 100%. So lighting levels, um, the we aren't seeing as much in terms of the kind of beer taps and things like that. I would say it's leaning more towards um, blends, blend between uh, kind of staff and, and client or customer journeys coming together. So we're seeing a lot more of organizations open up their um you know, there's space to be more, I guess, free for clients to come in and use it. So kind of a membership approach, you know, looking at hospitality um, where there's a lot more co-working because if, if percentages of people kind of remain split between a remote or a virtual workforce and people coming in, then how do you then activate those spaces? So they're not just dead receptions or, you know, dead client suites. Uh, so we're looking a lot more at combined, almost that WeWork idea or a little bit more sophisticated, like think of a business lounge where, you know, clients are coming in where we can actually use space in better ways. So everything has multiple functions. I think that's that's the sort of um, trends we're seeing in terms of activation of space and focusing on people. Angie and I talked a little bit about like the design process while we're all working from home. And I got it like you're, you know, leading all these designers across multiple studios and designing space. And I got to think like designing space, it's always good to be in space and being inspired. So how are you leading and sparking creativity for yourself, for your team while we're all remote? Yeah, I think that's that's been probably one of the biggest challenges. Aside from, um, you know, aside from not being able to meet face-to-face, but how do we change our tools and processes to adapt quickly and effectively because we still have all those deadlines. And how do you, you know, I'm, I'm very much from that old architectural school mentality where I used to love to sketch and I still love to sketch and mark up and brainstorm, um, you know, pin up space and kind of charrette style. So doing that virtually, if we've all had to adapt and there's a lot more um, tools like Miro and being able to kind of storyboard together. We're using lots of Pinterest boards, things like that. Um, we're, we're trying to make our presentations more interactive as well. 
Um, so it's not just a PDF because it's, you know, we all know when we're on Zoom calls and Teams calls, you actually, when presenting, can't read a room. And it's very difficult to understand what your client is feeling or saying because you can't actually interact. So we're trying to have that kind of, um, instead of a, a kind of stationary presentation, something that's a little bit more dynamic through platforms like Ceros. And then, you know, we're doing a lot, a lot and a lot of calls every day. I think it's, it's changed and it's evolved and that will stay. However, if we can get back in the office, there's nothing that beats that face-to-face in terms of the creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I wonder, it seems like design firms, even design museum, we've, we've had to become more like media savvy and right. And both how we put our content out there. And I'm sure that's the same for your design work. It's you're putting on a production. Yeah, no, we we're all becoming extroverts, right? I'm, I'm a classic mm-hmm. introvert, but <laughs> I've gotten used to seeing my, my face in front of me and I'm talking like past yep. it. And, you know, we were talking before I've got this giant mic in my face, which I love. I want to keep this thing, but you know, got the ring light and, and, and Sam's got, <laughs> what is that behind you? This is a blanket. <laughs> I mean, creating my studio. How awesome is this? I think, you know, we have these presentation coaches that help us um, communicate mm. on Zoom. And so, you know, we've been standing up. And another trick is to lean on the edge of your chair, right? Mm. So I know, um, you know, you don't want us to bang on the tables or anything, but to be active <laughs> and use your body language, it comes through in your voice, in your face. Yeah, and even yeah. though you can't see other people, I think we've also learned how to translate that behavior into, oh, no, that person's not grouchy or upset or, you know. So it's really interesting in terms of learning how this emotional literacy is also evolving with us. And I love that part, too. I'm interested to see how that improves our communication in person. Right, yeah. How does that translate back into reality? Because we're all like, you know, we're all anchors. We're all like (laughs) newscasters at this point having to I mentioned we had our workplace innovation summit back in December and one of the workshops, uh, the, pre- the presenters from Luma Institute had a very simple piece of advice, which is on Zoom, you can turn off your self view so you can't see yourself. And he was like, in what other interaction? He had these jokes about like, you meet someone and you hold a mirror right next to their face and you talk to the mirror. And yeah, we've had to become just a totally different almost brand of professional, especially for designers who were having to convince people of things. Uh, Natasha, anything else to add there in terms of like how your team is like interacting with clients and doing their work? Well, I was just going to say to pick up on what Andrew was saying, but there is almost a, you can hear in people's tone of voice when, when you actually smile, even though they might not see (laughs) you, but actually you can, you can feel those emotions in just by listening as well. So I, yeah, I'm also interested in how that's going to pan out and how we're going to change our behaviors when we come back into the office. Yeah, I keep hearing the notion of this whole idea of digital body language is really fascinating to me. And then, yeah, Angela, like you said, what does that translate into? I'll tell you, the thing I miss the most about the office is I miss having like creative conflict in person and then having that walk from the conference room back to the desk where that conflict just melts away. And I just, with Zoom and any kind of these virtual interactions, you have the creative conflict and then you hit end meeting and there you are alone. 
And so, yeah, if anyone's listening, being like, what, is, what can space right. do for us? I mean, that is one thing that space, I mean, allows us to exist, yeah. right? As humans connect with each other. I love that I can just turn it off. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I no, I just, yeah. but I also love that we are also, you know, we've all, you've all heard the conversation point about having an insight into people's personal lives, but also just to see that we're not all equal and to, I mean, that's not the point to talk about it. And mm -hmm. so I think there are other issues that do come from this format, but that's interesting yes. to see if the next time I go into the office, if my kind of negativity dissipates from <laughs> the walk from room to room. Um, yeah. It's different from for everybody, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's also something quite interesting that's um, developing. And I think it's, it's like the power of proximity when you're in the office and the fear of um, not developing in terms of your career because you're not being seen. I think this is affecting the younger generation quite heavily uh, because often they feel hesitant to pipe up if they're in a big, you know, a big presentation and they're not able to, you know, to be seen as, as being part of that, that uh, proposal or that presentation. So there's something that's, there's something that's kind of coming to the surface here that I think will have uh, longer term effects as well. Yeah. That's another worry I have, just like you're saying that young professionals might feel like their careers is like frozen in amber, right? Because we're kind of like, and that's probably even broader just in the, you know, the global situation that we're in. But yeah, that's again, another beautiful thing about space is it creates opportunities. Um, yeah. Wow. How can we design space to improve, you know, a young person's ability to step up is a really interesting yeah. thing. To that think is about. true. I remember learning so much from my project managers when I could hear them negotiating, you know, sort of controlling the situation on the phone. They're sitting six feet away from me. Right. But I, ha I have to say there is a level of intimacy that you can offer young generations on these Zoom calls because, you know, it's, we're all in this Brady Bunch screen and there is a level of, you know, visibility that you can escape sometimes. I mean, yeah, so, here we are. We're each in our right. box and we're all uh, The trade-off is, I think, still tilted towards, you know, needing to get younger people back in front of us in person. Yeah, I, I think I'd also add that the one positive it has done is is kind of broken a lots of layers of hierarchy. So in terms of access, you're right. So the younger generation can actually just call someone much quicker. It's, you know, I don't have to go through the layers of my manager to then the, you know, the, the managing partner. It's actually much quicker. Are you available? Can I chat? Can I give you a quick call? So there's something interesting organizationally that's happening in terms of breaking down that hierarchy. Thank you both uh, for sharing those. I think it's really important for us to think about the positive. And Natasha, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thanks so much for having me. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Natasha's work, check out unispace.com. And now it's that special time of the week. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I will kick us off. Uh, this week, my weekly dose of good design is focused on food. Uh, I've, I've shared many times on this podcast that my wife, Nicole, and I love to cook. We make dinner every night and eat as a family. It's very important to us. And 
let's face it, I haven't been in a restaurant now in over a year, which is just wild. And fun, weird fact that's associated with my weekly dose is there's apparently a Bucatini pasta shortage right now. And it's awesome and hilarious. There's an article in New York Magazine. We'll post a link. Anyway, this is all comes together. Nicole and I are always trying to level up our cooking game. And this Christmas, we got a KitchenAid Gourmet Pasta Press. And it's such a cool design. Uh, we've used a different KitchenAid device for years to make pasta that basically like flattens these sheets. And then there's like a cutter that cuts into like little thin strips and it's such a pain. But this pasta press is basically like a glorified like Play-Doh extruder, okay? So you mix your pasta dough and you pop it in the top and there's like a, um, it's attached to the mixer and there's like an auger that like moves the dough down and then out the bottom come your noodles. And there's like these six different discs that you attach that have like different cutters. Uh, so you can make uh, there's six different pasta shapes. So you've got your spaghetti, you've got your bucatini. So since there's a shortage, you can make your own, which is that's the first one that we made. Uh, rigatoni. Uh, we made fusilli the other night, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, large and small macaroni. So super fun. The kids love it. Uh, there's a bunch of cool design features like the way like there's like the cutter that cuts the noodles uh, as you go. It's like all integrated. And then there's like this handheld tool that can like push the dough down and it's like a wrench to replace and change out the different discs with the different shapes. It's a lot of cool stuff. It came in this beautiful package that kind of acts as now a storage case. Uh, anyway, we've been using it a ton and the homemade noodles taste so good. So check out the KitchenAid Gourmet Pasta Press and we'll post a link. Okay. You now I'm hungry, really hu but yeah, me too. Angie. I'm really hungry. Remember in the eighties when pasta was diet food? <laughs> Oh yeah, those were good times. Those were, I mean, that's a still, you know, as an Italian uh, yeah. American here, it's well, yeah, right. Eating pasta all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and now we're on. So yeah, what what's your weekly dose? So my weekly dose is walking through my living room, watching my fourteen year old play this Spider Man game on PS4. We're still waiting for our PS5. Same here. And just being so nostalgic watching this little avatar swing through the the tall buildings of manhattan and then actually going around and visiting all the sites <laughs> that my firm fx collaborative have done in times square downtown so cool. uptown and seeing where they sort of did the um the accurate uh portions and they sort of took artistic license but it really helped me understand how much i really do love this city mm -mm. there is there was something so bizarre and directly emotional about watching uh, a video game and how that really made me sort of love design even more yeah. so that's awesome that's that's mine so nice to meet you so thank nice you so you much for being here and hope we can stay in touch sounds like you're doing amazing work i'm excited to learn more great thanks so much <laughs> take care that's our show. I want to again thank Angie Lee and Natasha Benugli for joining us and thank you all for listening. We'll post links to their work and some of the other resources we discussed today on our episode page. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. While you're there, check out our latest book, Bespoke Bodies, The Design and Craft of Prosthetics. It's a book all about design, healthcare, technology, and the human experience. If you love design, if you love people, I know you're gonna love this book is filled with stories of people living with limb loss and limb difference and how they work with designers and prosthetists 
to create artificial limbs. And really some of these folks became designers themselves and designed their own prosthetic devices. Really incredible, amazing stories. It was just so great to work with this community. I can't say it enough. It was a true joy. I'm really proud of this book. You can find more about it on our website and even pre-order a copy. You can always find the latest from the Design Museum on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And we have a pretty awesome weekly email newsletter as well. You can sign up on our website and get the latest in your inbox every week. This episode was written and produced and edited by the amazing Amor Yates, along with our technical producer, Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. I'm Sam Akbalano. This was Design is Everywhere. Thank you all for joining us.